How do we feel about the intro music? Because I'm getting 90s sitcom vibes and I'm really just, just now I'm really starting to notice it. So if you happen to be new here, welcome. My name is Sydney Lai. I'm the host of Decoded. Decoded is a podcast series where we have conversations with other developers to really explore and understand what we're building. How are we building it? How should we understand like what is going to transform the industry really? And yeah, I just like, I'm super jazzed to be speaking with other developers and I want to really just invite you to come and join us. We have our Out Systems Developer Conference happening in November. So definitely feel free to grab some tickets. They're free. Come and join us. And we also have a dev like ecosystem and community of developers, about 495,000 developers. It's it's pretty bonkers how much Out Systems community has grown. So feel free to join if you get stuck on a bug, if you need help building something, if you want to find others to build with. Our response rates on the form, very, very fast. So if, yeah, if you want to build, come and join. I mean, with the with our IDE, you can build any kind of web or mobile application very, very quickly on the enterprise level. So I've got some time. So if you want to, if you want to hang out, if you want some help, let me know, reach out. Otherwise, I'll let you know how to reach out at the end, but I'm just excited to jump into this conversation with an engineer at Netflix. So let's dive right in. Chris Donaraj, thank you so much for joining today's episode of Decoded. So glad to have you here. You are a senior UI engineer at Netflix, and it is so, I am so excited to talk about everything creative and engineering with you. I am thrilled to be here. I powered through a few, few of the episodes prior to this, and I love it. So, hello. Yeah, absolutely. Much appreciated. I mean, I think it's so fun to talk to engineers at teams that we are familiar with. May it be, gosh, I don't know, Netflix or Slack or et cetera, like applications that we interact on a daily basis. And I'll speak for myself. I don't really think much about in the sense of like, here's Netflix. I usually interact with it when I'm exhausted and I just want it to provide me some, some relief. And so, so, so being able to see not just an engineer, but someone who is on the front end, the user experience side, the interface engineering portion of Netflix. I mean, I guess just to start off, like what is on an overall experience, like what is it like to be building for an application that touches the lives of so many people and also our best friend through the pandemic, Netflix. Let's talk about this. So this is going to be a fun pivot because I think uh, <laughs> this would be a great, great moment right now, which is saying that, so I work on Netflix studios, which is slightly different than Netflix.com. Netflix studios is our application that we use to make movies, which is Hollywood facing. And so we're a lot in LA a bunch versus user facing still very interesting, but it's much more Hollywood movie versus consumer UI. My jaw just dropped because this just got to a whole nother level. Now we're talking like, <laughs> now we're talking production studios, like famous people. I mean, I'd be, okay. So then yes, okay. let's, let's dive into this pivot because yeah, this would be great. <laughs> as a B2C product, right? So again, high level of abstraction. Yeah. Netflix touches millions and can I say billions? I don't know math. The billions? Uh, is, are million, we, million, millions. Millions. Is, okay. Is, is mil, correct, mil, yeah. Mil, 
Netflix touches hundreds of millions, millions of, hundreds, hundred, like a tr trillion. No, um, no, <laughs> tons, tons of people. It touches tons of people. Yes. And it's not just the application itself and the user experience itself, but it is the content and it is the storytelling and it's, it's unique. It's unfair advantage, which is the studios. I mean, look, the other players, I won't name who, they also have their studios, but there's nothing like Netflix studios. So, I mean, I'll say so, uh, you know, I think I saw numbers recently, which is that we are the largest studio combined. So I think if, if you take how much content we produce and make every year right now, it is basically the output of the rest of Hollywood. And so it's a wild number, the amount of stuff we're doing. And so which is why Netflix series exists is because, you know, five, six years ago, the only original we had was House of Cards. And now we have like a x billion dollars per year in in content production and so you know about two or three four years ago we're like hey you know maybe we should have something around this to make sure that we're bringing our tech advantage into hollywood and hollywood is a very traditionally backwards not backwards but old school industry right it's it's relationship based it's not like silicon valley and so so that's been kind of a interesting i think shift for netflix itself and so when it comes to i mean i think to your point like as an engineer at Netflix Studios, it is a literal representation of Netflix being a tech company. I mean, I'd like to say arguably maybe the first direct consumer, D to C, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we call ourselves a both a tech company and an entertainment studio now. And so we actually, so we just recently, more recently said we are actually a studio that does also tech. And so there's a kind of this interesting mental dichotomy of where our company is going and what we view ourselves as. But yeah, it's, it's kind of a, it's been a fun time. And so I guess I don't think much about studios. I guess I'm curious to know the only time I really think about studios, like a Disney studio, and then you have like the Imagineers, et cetera. I guess where does like software engineers and UI engineers play a role in Netflix? Yeah, studio? So Netflix studios is an umbrella org, right? So there's actually like many, many studios within Netflix Whenever a movie is made, it's farmed out to a studio and there are many, many studios. And then there's a bunch of different distribution things and all that. And so we call this kind of the pitch to play process of making a movie. So when someone, a writer says, I have an idea, they send a pitch to Netflix. From that all the way to post-production, animation, all these things, we have applications for basically that entire suite, that entire arm. So we have about 150 or so different applications inside Netflix studios that do every part of this process. And so our users then are not in us at home, stuck in bed watching one Netflix, but it is writers, directors, lawyers, people on set, animators, that, that entire arm of Hollywood is our, is our user base. Wow. So then how do you design maybe a unifying style across a suite of applications? It's one of those things where like when we first released our first original, seven, I guess it's 2014, we only had three originals, one or two originals, right? Maybe, and then it, you don't really need a application suite for that, right? You need a Google Sheet or an Airtable or something and everything's fine. When you're at 12 billion, it's like, okay, now it's just a different different scale. And so we kind of think of ourselves as a kind of a startup inside of Netflix um, in so much that we're trying to figure out how do we tie the Netflix branding to what we're doing here? And we're kind of moving that right now. And so it's, it's a lot of this is, you know, if you're a person who works in, let's say, if you're a lawyer negotiating a contract to sign Brad Pitt or Millie Bobby Brown, you are going to work through four or five different Netflix Studios applications to get, to get that deal done. 
And so for us, it's figuring out, okay, for a lawyer, how do they engage with the pitch, the talent, the legal documents, and make that a seamless experience across the Netflix and then make it also Netflix because you work at Netflix. And so it's, it's important for us to kind of make sure that we are still pushing the boundaries there. So to your question around how do you make this unifying experience, we're figuring it out still. It's still pretty brand new because we are in that kind of evolution phase right now. So my jaw is just ajar right now because I, I'm now realizing you're saying that being a part of the engineering team at Netflix Studios is actually also creating the internal, I don't know if internal tooling is the right word, but it is the almost a B2B platform to be uh, almost a SaaS platform to be able to interact with your customers, which is these lawyers, institutionals, et cetera. And so that they have a good experience so that they don't drop off or have experienced any kind of like UI friction and that they can stay in your studios. Yeah. I mean, there's this like quote, I forget friends from, it's from some director or producer where we're like 80% of the initial state work is in figuring out the deal for a movie. I remember when I first joined Netflix, I was working on a pretty like humdrum product around uh, how do I find contracts? Uh, and I was pretty bored about it. And then I went down to LA and I talked to a bunch of the users and they're like, oh yeah, when we worked at Warner or Disney, we used to have a filing cabinet and we would just kind of rifle through papers until we found the correct one. And so it's just like this wild thing where Netflix, of course, has this amazing engineering arm. We've had a UI org for over a decade. And so we were able to say, okay, how can we take all the stuff we've learned? A lot of our leadership is actually from our streaming side. So we call it, call it our streaming versus studio or and studio side. And so how do we take what we've learned in streaming with our scale, with our innovation and all these things and bring and disrupt an entirely different industry that we're a part of being, you know, being Hollywood. So, I mean, there's definitely two tracks that come to mind. One is talking about disruption and one is talking about scale. I'd love to hear from your perspective. What are some of like high level key points that you've learned as an engineer in regards to scaling, right? Because I think that without a doubt, may it be Netflix.com itself or even Netflix Studios when you're producing this content and Netflix has their own distribution channel. Like, yeah, let's talk about scaling and like designing for scale. It is challenging. Um, <laughs> I think it's one of those things where it's, it's funny because, you know, when you move from streaming to studios, streaming is complex in so much that we have hundreds of millions of users but they all want this, kind of the same thing, which is they want to put, press play on something they like, which is a little bit different when you're thinking about someone negotiating a deal or a contract or, or figuring out a pitch, which is there are less amount of users. There's maybe thousands of users, tens of thousands of users, but they all want very, very different things, right? And when I think about something like search, search on Netflix.com means finding a movie. Search on studios could mean I need to find a clip. I could mean I need to find a contract. I could need to find a script. And so a lot of what this means for us is that we're still trying to figure out what is the product roadmap for these things? Like, how do we, how do we make their lives easier? But, you know, it's one of those things where we think about scale. It's like, okay, I think one thing we learned quickly is that there is over-engineering, right? So like we could build all the products we want. We have a lot of smart people on Netflix, right? And we'll build these products. We'll take six months to build. And then we have two users who are very important but we could have probably solved it with a Google table, right? Or a spreadsheet somewhere. And so I think for us, one of the fun learnings is figuring out when do you build something? When do you buy something? And when do you just leverage a free tool out there and say, this is good enough for now and we'll figure this out later. And so that's been a kind of a fun learning process. I've been in Netflix studios for four, about four years now. So I've gone through a bunch of reorgs and, as, and we've shipped a bunch of stuff that like, well, maybe we shouldn't have shipped that. We should have done something else. And so I think especially for an early stage 
company thing like studios, a lot of the scaling is just picking the right projects to work on, which is sometimes more challenging than you'd expect. Yeah, I think what's so mind blowing is that you just kind of laid out this evolution of, hey, ages ago, Netflix was the DVDs. Was that that was Netflix, right? D- yeah, DVD. Yeah, DVD okay. And DVD.com yeah, right. is also us right now, I think. That's hilarious. But you started off that way and then you probably used very simple toolings and then now you have to build in-house solutions or at least within studios. How do you shake up and improve the user onboarding flow for getting these deals done? Because if you improve that deal flow, then you're able to close the deals. Then you're able to have a great content and it's, it's nuts. It just beats everything else out of the water. And now it's like, it's coming almost full circle, which is, Hey, maybe we don't need to necessarily over-engineer everything. And so, so I think like when it comes to learning and shipping, there's almost two, I'm, what I'm hearing is there's almost two ends of the spectrum. You can you're so great at what you do. And, and Netflix are known for your engineers, right? So like, you're so great at what you do. And sometimes it's like, you know what? I don't, I have to say, I have a buddy. He has a uh, smart light bulbs and he has to come into his bedroom and say, <laughs> turn on yeah. and then wait like six awkward <laughs> seconds. <laughs> right, and exactly. I was just like, I'm just going to walk into what? my room and just flip the switch. <laughs> flip the switch, within yeah. A, right, within yeah. a millisecond. Right? So, but I think when it goes to learning and shipping, I think... Something that I do see almost commonly enough, let me think about this, something that I've at least experienced on my own, having worked on B2B platforms where, to your point, the scale or the user, air quotes, user base is smaller, but the functionality is very critical because there is just massive dollars attached to it, or there's massive deals attached to it. Now, if a streaming service that I'm just going to say generally, like if a streaming service, you know, doesn't, and I can't watch Pokemon, then it's like, okay, it's not the end of the world, but it would be, it should be nice if the, the app would work. But so yeah, it's a different, different intention. It's one of those interesting things where, you know, one of my apps I work on is we call it critical path, which means that if something goes wrong here, it will take down a title on service. And that is like to a user, it's like, oh, that sucks, right? But for us in talent relationships, if something goes live early, if something go, goes off air, if we leak something, then it has massive effects between for us as Netflix and how we deal with talent in Hollywood, which is so relationship-based, right? So if we mess something up here, then we may never sign a deal with this person ever again, right? And so it is one of those interesting things of like working on a B2B platform for a major C platform where the the ripple effects of things we do is sometimes hard for us to see directly just because you know if if I push a bug in the UI and someone press saves twice and it takes me off site I'll be like oh hey I just you know I forgot to add an error check there for a save button for a small form somewhere in this pipeline but then the actual effect is you cost the company 10 million dollars or whatever whatever it is and so that's always a fun a mental juggle. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely mind-boggling. I mean, definitely not with the same repertoire as as Netflix or Hollywood relationships. But that kind of reminds me, I used to work at a big international bank. And if your mobile application doesn't do X, Y, and Z correctly, or if your transaction is incorrect, I mean, if, if there's an error in input, oh my gosh, are you... Yeah. And it's not just the financial aspect. It's it's also that relationship 
with the customer. It's kind of B to B to C, you know, to your point. And so I think from your perspective, it's like, and you know, knowing a little bit about your background, it, correct me if I'm wrong, you have a lot of B2B experience and now you're also at a B2B to C experience, like from a product roadmap perspective, it's like, what are some of the differences that you've experienced building for a B2B roadmap and then a B2C roadmap? And how does that, what should engineers be mindful of? The first thing that always jumps out is like timelines are always different, right? And with a B2B, especially it's because this is a B2B internal, timelines are always like a little bit more flexible and so much that we have enough time to say, most of the time, there are some exceptions we say, we should do this right and be very clear about how much time this will take. In a B2C, in my B2C experience, sometimes we had to ship for a conference, right? It, they had to announce this at some place and there was no going around that, right? There was a drop dead timeline. That's much less common in B2B of a drop dead com- timeline. And so when we're thinking about roadmaps and how do we plan things, it's both more relaxed, but there's a lot more, what I found is there's a lot more iteration cycles where like we're okay shipping things that are like, we're trying this out and seeing how it works. And then we'll kind of fiddle with it and we're okay pushing back timelines. And so that's been kind of a, if you're somebody who has never worked in B2B before and you're like, oh, that's so boring. In some ways it's less sexy than working on like an animation sliding out. But in other ways you get to pick better timelines and the challenges you face are tend to be a lot more complex in terms of like state data, what people are actually doing on the application tends to be vastly more complex than what I was doing on a B2C application. If you could just see my facial expression, I'm because you read my mind, because this whole yeah. time as you're talking, I was thinking, how would you even manage the back end for this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things we're still figuring out. I mean, so Netflix Studios is, a, is not a monolith, right? There we have many, many different services, and we've been doing a big push in the last two years, moving to a GraphQL layer with a unified edge. And so Netflix.com, if you've heard some of our um, talks on that side. We have this thing called Falcor. It's like GraphQL. It's like a, a one single API surface that any UI engineer can pull from. And that works really well for Netflix.com and so much that we can like say, hey, you know, we, any UI engineer can say, I'm gonna build up an API, pull from the Falcor streaming edge and then build a, build a feature. And we've been trying to duplicate that on Studios as well. The challenge of Studios is that Studios is much different in terms of the data scope, right? And so we're combating that, but that's just like, you know, a thing we're doing. But yeah, I mean, it's just, um, it's a really large, interesting problem, uh, which is fun to work with. I think this also kind of reminds me, which is when you are building an application, you sometimes, as you were saying, when you're building a consumer application, sometimes you are, your intent is to reach millions of users. And sometimes you, you can't always make the perfect iteration or delivery for every single of the millions of users. So it needs to be general enough. And I'm I'm speaking very high level. It needs to be general enough where it needs to be quite usable. But when you talk about the, the nuances of a B2B product, especially in a tooling that is in a vertical that is so relationship based, then it's almost like machine learning where you have to create an experience or a data set and you have to almost statistically predict the likelihood of something succeeding rather than predicting the future or assuming that they're going to like this experience. Uh, but And this, it needs to be so curated because those, and I'm just making up numbers, those 10 people that use the platform, there's obviously more than 10 people, but that's going to be mission critical to essentially what you said. I want to talk about that. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think, you know, our product team has had this issue when, it, when you come from streaming, 
it's so data heavy, right? You know, you have millions of users, you roll an A-B test out, you have data points that say this worked, this didn't work. When you're on studio scale, you don't have enough data points to have it for it to be significant, right? So like, hey, some problem press this button versus that button, that doesn't mean anything with 100 people per se, right? They could just be like chance, which is, yeah. So like how you measure success of a product, it's very nebulous and, and confusing really. And as you were mentioning, you know, because there are a hundred or whatever number of users, we can talk to them directly, right? We can, prior to COVID, I was in LA at least once a month, if not more, and we would chat with the users, see what they're doing, what, what their pain points are. And so you don't have to create these fake personas and like go to usertesting.com and like build a profile out. You just fly to them and say, hey, we're building this for you. What do you want? Which does actually have a kind of a, it's a big pro because you can build relationships that way. There's also a bit of a con because like in consumer products, users don't always know what they want, right? They know their immediate problem, but it's hard for anybody to say, I'm having a hard time pressing submit or something. But what they actually want is a better way to find a specific script or something, right? And when you're so close to a user, it's very easy to like get sucked into their immediate problems versus what is the actual end goal of all this stuff. And so figuring that balance out is also important. Being able to say no to someone you know personally can be more challenging than saying, oh yeah, we have a product roadmap and it's we everything's impersonal and it's, it's all this stuff. So it is interesting. I, I think also the role of an engineer changes quite a bit in this world where in some other companies, I as an engineer don't have to do these kind of talking with users. I don't have to do as much communication and relationship building. I'm just I'm writing code. But you are very much a product engineer. You're, you have to wear a... PM hat sometimes, you have to wear a design hat sometimes. It's a bit more startup-y that way, right? You can't just come to work and code, which is actually fun. So, I also think that you really beautifully illustrated the fact that with certain B2C applications, you have millions of user behavior, data sets, data points to make those design decisions or those engineering feature decisions. And, you know, exactly to echo your point, which is, the scale is different, right? The user base is smaller, but almost the scale of a dire need or necessity or, or mission critical that I guess in a way you need a scale for that. And then you also, you don't have the databases to make those decisions. So you have to go and collect uh, qualitative data to be able to produce the, and build out the features that is quite necessary. So where is this either alignment or unison of being a developer that also needs to build creativity, like creatively, Great. creatively, 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 creatively. There we there, go. Yeah. That's, the, that's the word. Yeah. So, so yeah, where, where is that? Because you kind of alluded to this is in some ways, one cannot just come in and, and just heads down and code. And, and there are some teams or companies where it almost requires that creative outlook from a development cycle, from a development perspective. Yeah. So if the question is, you know, how do I express creativity in the way I code or way do I do my job? And I think a lot of that, you kind of alluded to, like, you know, because my hat is not just, I'm going to code whatever I've been given hat. It is, I'm talking to the user, I'm figuring out their problems. I am then proposing a code solution for this. And so I think one, one of the fun parts of B2B is because you're in a complex data environment, the solutions you create can be creatively simple to do a complex thing, which is a, bit, it's a different kind of creative expression. So when I'm building my B2C stuff, I'm thinking about how does this animate over? How am I creatively bringing joy to someone's experience as they go through a product? 
Some people love the autoplay in Netflix. Some people hate it. Uh, and so that's a kind of a creative decision someone's making there. In mine, it's the creativity is not so much in that expression, right? It's not a visual creativity. It is in product creativity. Like, how do I come to a solution that distills a complex thing down to a simple action? So I don't get to flex my my animation chops as much, which is a big bummer for me. But I do get to think, think about things holistically and product-wise. And that is, in some ways, super rewarding. So you know, when, I, when we do ship something that works really well, like, hey, you just shipped a way to air a movie in 100 countries with specific languages in a very simple way, in, one, in like one or two buttons. And that, to me, is sometimes a harder challenge to kind of rock through. And so I've enjoyed that. And that's kind of how I bring my creative brain to my day-to-day work life. Oh, absolutely. And so as you're talking about this, then this also has me asking, when you're talking ship, I just want to double check. Are you talking about shipping titles or shipping features? So both, yeah. sorry. So yeah, so if we ship a feature to one of our apps, somebody else will use that feature to ship a title. So for me, it's like, how do I enable somebody else to ship X amount of titles? And so we're talking about scale here, right? Our app has to be good enough that Netflix Studios does not need to hire a equivalent amount of people as the money they're putting in to make more content. Right. So if we, if we double our budget and we have to double our headcount as well, that's a bad trade. Right. And so for us, it's, it's figuring out, hey, you know, last year we shipped 100 titles. This is a fake numbers. Uh, this year we're shipping 10,000 titles. How do we make sure we don't have to hire that same factor of people to do this amount of work? And so that's kind of where our apps kind of sit, sit in that space. And then through that, what were some of the bigger lessons that you've learned in regards to shipping and producing and, and really honoring that developer timeline, right? Or development timeline, because I can't even imagine the pace that you ship anywhere from studios to Netflix.com to both sides. And and I think that the way both the studio shipping titles, just the speed of that, and it just, it's, again, it's just different than a lot of other B2B products or B2C products. Yeah, I, it's been an interesting time. So I, I think, the biggest lesson I've learned at Netflix is the importance of well-defined brief product memos. It's one of those things where I think when you think about shipping fast, everyone's to say, we'll just ship something, call a day and keep on going. And we did that a lot early on. And what we ran into is that we just were shipping the wrong things over and over again, right? And so I think when we're thinking about shipping fast and shipping well, they are sometimes in at odds a little bit. And so one of the things I'll be taking no matter where else I go is that upfront research time is well worth the cost. And I think it's sometimes hard for people to kind of grok with that and say, it's okay to slow down for the first quarter and say, we're going to spend more time figuring out what we're doing as opposed to immediately going down and just writing some code. I think to me, to me, that was almost not what I was taught or what I learned initially, which is like, just get things down ship it, see if it works, keep on going. That's very Silicon Valley. Yeah, it's very Silicon Valley just to keep shipping, right? And so, yeah, I guess, you know, as I've <laughs> gotten older, I am less likely to do that ever again. I think the upfront time to just figure out product strategy. Why are we doing this? What is the actual gain at the end of the day? Are things that valuable metrics? All these things are things that I think as engineers who are just creating things, we should skip over. Like we could create it, so, what we, so we would, well, we, we will as opposed to the why are we creating something. And so that's been one of the biggest lessons for me at Netflix is spending a lot more time on whys and not kind of falling to the Silicon Valley cycle of just ship fast and break things, I suppose. Uh, all in moderation, right? All I in think moderation. There, <laughs> I think there is a irony 
to just the time it takes to debug and find the errors. And there's this old adage that I'm forgetting the, uh, so something like failure to plan or something like that. Yeah. What is that thing? Failure to plan yeah. is planning to fail. Planning something, something, something like magical, that. magical unicorns. But yeah. yeah, I think, I think what this also really brings me to is that like as an internet kid, as a millennial, right? Like as you've experienced from a consumer standpoint, the changing aspects of how we receive media. I mean, you probably, again, I don't, I don't know how old we are, but like, I'm in my thirties now. It's fine. Uh, It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, buddy. (laughs) But do you remember like watching Netflix? Like that was the way you consumed TV on your laptop in the dorms. And then that was the experience. And I guess, I guess this is all to say, whereas what I'm trying to say here is that you've had this experience of a consumer and then moving to the other side where you are also the creator of a previous consumption. And so, because I I feel, I don't know, maybe, I feel like maybe people don't typically think about production studios or, or even like people know that Netflix, you watch TV on Netflix and people know it's like, oh, it's. Maybe some people know it's like, oh, it's original content. And I, and maybe that's like the extent of the conversation that they have in their head. And so this is all to say is like, as an internet kid, like what was this journey of this whole full circle in a way? Yeah. Yeah. As you kind of mentioned, you know, I never thought about Hollywood prior to joining Netflix. Right. I was like, movies are made. That's cool. Great. And I watched them on my TV or my laptop or I'm pirating them illegally when I was in college. It's all, all, all these things. So it's, it is funny coming to an entertainment company. Uh, I'm like, oh, there are so many different parts to this that I just never thought through. Even, you know, there's, you always have these questions like, oh, why are they taking friends off Netflix? And then as someone who's building the app that, that's dealing with that part of, of Netflix, like, oh yeah, I, I see why now. And so it's illuminating. It's interesting. It, it definitely gives me a different view on my content and also how content is made. One of the really cool parts of Netflix is how transparent we are about all everything we've learned, things that go wrong, things that went well. And so it gets you the interesting insight into some of the challenges productions, productions face and why things get made, what are the trade-offs. And so it's, I imagine it's someone like who like ate hot dogs. This is a terrible example. It, just, it, not, it does not work. <laughs> um, you tried. You're being creative. I'm not going to ick your well. You tried. And I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I was like, do I have an analogy for this? We have used the, how the sausages made example a little bit, but I feel like content is a bit different than sausages. So it's, but it, it, it is, I don't think it's changed my relationship to how I consume content, but I'm a lot more aware of why things are happening, what went wrong, you know, if a delay happens, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense because the director didn't know how to manage budget and suddenly they got kicked off the project because they were a creative person, but terrible at actual directing. And um, so like you, you have a different insight about why, why things are happening in the movie industry. Yeah, very well said. And I think, oh gosh, also there's, so there's like a, a side tangent Let's just dive into yeah, the side tangent. That's really fine. Quick. Yeah, yeah. Flash media player. Okay. Yeah. Good times. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. I did some flash programming. Oh my gosh. I, I, I made a st- stick figure animation at some point. It was great. I loved it. Very oh, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, I, there was that ski, like ski jumping game or yeah, something yeah, yeah. back in the, do you remember? It? And then there's like gravity and it was a flash game. Anyways, I guess at that time, wasn't that like in the, was that early 2000s? I don't, I don't remember. Mm, right? It was like Newgrounds like era we're talking about right now. Well, so I guess my, my point is it's a like, 
like streaming had to come at a certain time, right? Right. Streaming had to come at a certain time. And, and these flash based video embeds in a browser, I mean, that, that just would not have worked. And oh, gosh, I don't, I guess it's not even a point. I guess it's just like a massive reflection that I just had. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in our, in our Netflix mythology, the concept like, oh, we always knew we're going to be streaming. That's why it's called Netflix. I'm a little bit dubious about this point in our, in our company history, but uh, that's, uh, that is the company line. <laughs> that is pretty funny. I mean, it's net internet. It, it, it was I, called I, Netflix. I, yeah. It was called Netflix yeah. from the beginning. Um, so maybe I'm just being a cynic. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, well, Netflix. So, <laughs> just poking fun here. And so I think that when it comes to to even being, you know, having foresight, what you were just alluding to, which is from your perspective, what do you anticipate? And, and this doesn't have to be accurate. I'm just curious from your perspective. Like, what do you anticipate are some like development or design challenges to come? And I don't mean Netflix. And I just mean like in general, in either studio design or because I think to your point, like even in this conversation right now, I'm thinking... The, the huge aha moment that I've had during this conversation with you, Chris, is, oh my gosh, if you improve the user experience of all these design studios, or excuse me, movie studios and how paperwork and legal and contract, this is how stuff is produced. If you want X, Y, Z titles, if you want content that changes the game, introduce new thoughts, diverse faces, missions, whatever it is for this to even exists, you need to democratize the access to this deal flow and also not just democratize, but streamline and close the deal. And, and that's my huge, like, oh my gosh moment. So, so that has completely changed the way I have seen, like, I guess, Netflix changing the game. It's not just like, oh, I can watch all these great TV shows immediately. It's changing the social narrative almost just from air quotes, just from a B2B platform. So, so I guess, well, this is all to say, like from like an educated guess or perspective, like what do you think will be like design or development challenges to come just in, in the industry as a whole? I think in the entertainment industry specifically, I think one of the biggest ones will be globalization. And what does this actually mean? When we're thinking about Netflix itself, we grow more globally than we need in the U.S. U.S. is a pretty saturated market, but like in Asia, Europe, you know, Middle East, Africa, these are all massive markets and not just in like user base, but where are we making movies? So we make a movie in Japan, make a movie in Morocco, make a movie in Netherlands. What are our apps look like for those people? The Hollywood is very U.S. centric. I'm saying Hollywood over and over again, which is a U.S. location, but we're shooting films all over the world. And one of the big Netflix things is that we are bringing what used to be just Hollywood money to a company in India or in Germany. You know, Dark is, is one of the first major, you know, series filmed in, in, in Germany with all German talent. And so when I'm thinking about the apps I'm building, the tools I'm using, the designs I'm, I'm producing, how does this scale globally as opposed to just an English speaking US centric market user base? And so I think that will be an interesting challenge. You know, we did some interesting thoughts on the streaming side of the Japanese market is very different in terms of interfaces, right? So if you look at a Japanese newspaper, it's very busy, right? Compared to a, a U.S. newspaper and Netflix.com is extremely light and clean, right? And so is the way that people consume content and work with their tools dramatically different enough that we'll need to shift how we build tools for different countries. And so I think that'll be an interesting challenge in the next like five years or so as, and then I think, 
every studio will start dealing with this more and more, right? Because, you know, eventually people have to reach out of the U.S. and think about the other market. At Netflix, we've said, we used to call our non-U.S. originals international originals. Uh, and then we've shifted that language now to say the region because saying international originals is, is a U.S.-centric term, right? And so uh, I think just that concept of like, not being US centric and being global. Uh, what does that mean for both design development and our actual users? I think that's beautifully said because I think that there is also the localization of platforms so that you can provide that access. Just based off of what you said, this actually reminds me how I have been able to watch more foreign films or foreign documentaries. Or, I mean, to your point, it's not even about being foreign, it's just about like it's just a non content that's not English speaking. That's it. Let's let's start with that, right? And so I think that it's been able to allow me to have access, exchange of ideas. And I think, again, just to kind of echo your point, what you described about, again, may it be the localization of a platform, even a B2B studio platform for even just the Japanese market itself. I think a really famous case study folks typically hear about is the Yahoo Japan page, Right. The classic Yahoo Japan page. And I think I think they only deprecated that probably in like 2010 or something. It was like pretty, I don't know if late's the right word, but uh, not long ago yet. Kind of long ago. I don't. I saw some, some mm. amount of, not a long, long time ago, but I just right. uh, some time, some time ago. Yeah. Once upon a time. <laughs> so once upon a time, time. Yeah. Time is a social construct. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I think that when it comes to reflecting on how are we designing and how we are developing regardless of scale, it always comes back down to the intention and the intent. Yeah. 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 This conversation took an interesting pivot that I wasn't expecting, but here we are. <laughs> it's Yeah. I don't, I don't even know. I mean, I think at the very least, Chris, I will say it's been so inspiring to be able to speak with you and, and just hear your perspective by bringing a qualitative approach to engineering, to building. And, and when I say qualitative, I mean even just the, the human touch. And so I so appreciate you joining today, Chris. I, I am so like just moved in understanding how you specifically approach building for an industry that really, really is able to leverage, just streamline I want to say flawless design, but but very <laughs> equitable or easy, well, easy to use yes. design. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been great talking with you. It's always fun to kind of talk about kind of the behind the scenes movie magic. But yeah, so it's been great. And Chris, what's the best way that we can support you? How can we reach out? Yeah, you can follow me on twitter.com uh, slash Chris Donaraj. But my tweets are not great. They're either hot takes, either on JavaScript CSS or politics. So just uh, be forewarned. Here we are. But um, yeah, that's how you would reach a, out to me if, if you wanted to. A true, true San Franciscan. A yes, true a true Bay San Franciscan. <laughs> I, I just moved here and I feel really bad about that. And and so it's already infected me. I have all birds. It's I've gone <gasps> full circle. You do have all... Did you move from LA or where where we come no, from? No, I moved from Austin. I you bought my all birds in Austin before I knew they were a, a Silicon Valley hipster thing. And then I got here and I was so sad. I was like, oh, no, oh, I no. unintentionally opted myself into this. Uh, and then you and then you look down and you're like, am I holding a bottle of Soylent? How did this happen? Yeah, know, right? is there <laughs> you know, here, and here we are. <laughs> Anyways. All right, Chris, thanks a bunch, man. Yeah, you too. So I had a lot of fun. I mean, I think it's always really fun to speak to an engineer who works at 
a product or a team that has really, I guess, penetrated your everyday life, right? I mean, you watch Netflix, you have a Netflix idea that you want to pitch, I'm sure. I mean, it's so incredible to see how far Netflix has come and in the nuances of building for an application like this. But as well, I mean, kind of to Chris's point, it's also building for behind the scenes to make it work, right? And I would say behind the scenes, like even with us here at Decoded, I just want to say like, we've also, not only do we make podcasts, but we also make videos. So if you haven't checked us out on video, go to YouTube, definitely go to YouTube, check out Out Systems, Decoded Labs. And we have so many tutorials on just how to build, how to create really fun demos. And there's just other dev advocates out there who are showcasing how you're able to build these really cool applications. So I, I'd i say, yeah, that's like my ask for the day is like, hey, do you want to come check us out on YouTube and just see some of the faces? We build really fun stuff. And I just, I just hope we're able to share some really cool builds with you guys. And if you guys want to build with us, come and join us. I guess my give is like, hey, if you're looking for some help or some guidance, my Twitter DMs are open. You can message me. People do message me, which is pretty, pretty fun. And yeah, if I can't help, I know someone, someone in the team, someone in the ecosystem that can just help in general. So all about cross collaboration. And we've got some really cool collabs coming up in terms of different types of integrations, different projects that we're building. So join us there. Yeah.